Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who through the righteousness of God, of our God and Saviour Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these things, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. If you do these things, you will never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. If you'd like to flip open over your page to Genesis 39, we're going to read an account of Joseph who'd been taken to Egypt. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of the Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favour in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar took him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though he spoke to Joseph, though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend his duties, and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, 
He called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his, his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favour in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care, because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Emma. The next uh, four weeks uh, before we start the book of Ephesians, we're going to look at uh, men and women of faith. So different men and different women in the Bible. Uh, And my prayer is that uh, you be challenged and encouraged and think, I want to be like that person. I want to live my Christian life just like that person did. Uh, So next week we're going to look at Hannah, uh, a great woman of prayer. Uh, The week after, look at Abraham, a great man of faith. The week after that, look at Esther, a great leader. Uh, Tonight we're looking at Joseph. And I, I call this sermon, The Man of Great Integrity. Man of great integrity. So let me ask you, do, do you value integrity? Do, do you value the people who, they're the same person in private as they are in public? You know, they don't try and pretend to be somebody that they're not. Uh, what they say is true. There's a story of a man who was applying to an Ivy League university in the U.S., and uh, he was interviewed, and the interviewer said, uh, would you tell a series of lies for a million dollars if no one would ever find out? He thought about it and thought, ah, oh, probably would, yeah. Uh, would you tell a series of lies for a dollar? And the man said, of course I wouldn't. What kind of man do you think I am? And the interviewer said, I know what kind of man you are. You're not a man of integrity. Uh, but Joseph was a man of integrity. He always does what is right, even when everybody else does what is wrong. He always does what is right, even when nobody is watching him. He always trusts God. He has his extraordinary ability to forgive people who have wronged him. And that's the man that we're going to meet tonight. Can I encourage you to read Genesis chapters 37 right through to Genesis 50? It's a great read, a great story. The way we're going to do it tonight is that I'm going to get a character for about five minutes and just tell the whole Joseph story. And then we'll have three points of application. So I'm Joseph, and you could say that my life was full of highs and lows. So here's the highs over here. Uh, You may have seen that awful, dreadful musical by Andrew Lloyd Webber. (laughs) Let me tell you the real story. So I was born in in Canaan, and uh, my father was called Jacob, and my mother was called Rachel. Uh, it was a great childhood. My parents loved me. In fact, I was their favorite child, you know. My dad just doted on me. One day, he gave me this really amazing coat. It was this beautiful, technicolored coat, and I just loved it. I guess I was a bit of a spoiled brat, and I annoyed my brothers a big time. They had all these really cool names. There were lots of brothers. 
Anyway, one day, I, I told him this dream that I'd had. I had this, this weird kind of dream where all my family were, were bowing down to me, and they hated me. But it was a good childhood. I was the favorite son. And, and then one day, we were in a place called Dothan, and, uh, and my brothers, they kind of were playing games with me. At least I thought it was a game. And they grabbed hold of me, and they threw me into this well or this pit. But it wasn't a game. They wanted me dead. They were trying to kill me. Apparently, Reuben was the one who said, no, don't kill him. And, and Judah was the one who said, why don't we sell him as a slave? And, and by accident, uh, this, this, these Ishmaelites came by and they sold me as a slave. Can you imagine that? I'm 17 years old and I'm watching my family disappear into the distance. I was hated by them. But, you know, life in Egypt was pretty good. I soon became chief servant in Potiphar's house. Potiphar was, was the captain of Pharaoh's army, and, uh, and he was a good man. And I, and I loved my time in Egypt. Like, we lived in this massive house by the Nile, and I was in charge of everything. Life was pretty good. Mrs. Potiphar, that's a different story. She, she was quite an attractive lady, much younger than his, her husband, but she didn't do very much. She kind of had these lazy lunches with her friends and they, they gossiped about fashion and houses and who was having an affair with who. And, but let's, let, let's be honest. Like, I'm pretty handsome. I'm pretty well-built and a good-looking kind of man. And, and she just threw herself at me. She said, come to bed with me. Let me just explain that uh, as a slave, I wasn't allowed to get married. I had all these sexual urges and sexual needs and here's this woman throwing herself at me and I thought about it and thought, no, no, no. Potiphar has been kind to me. She is his wife. And I can't sin against my gods. I said no. But day after day after day, she just kind of flirted with me. She wore less and less. And then one day, when everyone else was out, she, she just flung herself at me and said, come to bed with me. What would you do? Here's what I did. I just... Ran. I was out of there as fast as I could. And she grabbed hold of my cloak, and I thought, oh, that's going to turn out badly. And it did. Uh, that night, Potiphar called me in and said, how dare you attempt to rape my wife? I tried to defend myself, but he wouldn't believe me. And so I went from being top dog in the palace to being chucked into prison. That was a pretty low moment in my life. And as I sat in prison, I was pondering, I was thinking, you know, have I done the right thing? I thought, yes, of course I have. I've obeyed my God. I've honored him. What happened in prison? I soon became top dog in the prison. I was head prefect in the prison. Everyone did what I told them to do. I kept having these, also these weird dreams again, and, and there's a cupbearer there, there's a baker there, and I interpret their dreams for them. And I said to, to the cupbearer, I said, remember me when you get, get released from prison. But you know what? He didn't. And I was left to rot in jail. And then one day, Pharaoh sent for me, and he said, I've had this dream. And I interpreted that dream for Pharaoh, and I was released from prison. And guess what happened next? I'd gone from a 17-year-old slave to top dog in a palace, to being chucked into prison. Can you guess what happened next? Pharaoh made me, age 30, prime minister of Egypt. What a crazy life I had. And so there I am, dressed in these fine silk Egyptian 
garments. And one day, there's a famine, you see, and everyone was starving, and all the Israelites were, were coming to Egypt for food. And one day, this band of brothers came, and I recognized them straight away. My own flesh and blood. The people who had wanted me dead. And here they were, bound before me. I wonder how you would react when the people who wanted you dead were bound before you. Maybe you'd have revenge in your heart. Maybe you'd have bitterness in your heart. But I didn't. I spoke kindly to them. And I forgave them. I'm Joseph. That's my story. Isn't that an extraordinary story? Like, what a crazy kind of mixed up life. You think that you've had a, a crazy life. Who here has been sold as a slave? Who here has gone to prison? Who here has been in a palace and been prime minister? All in one person's life. So what do you learn from Joseph? I've got three words for you tonight. Here's my first word. Trust. Trust. A a deep trust in God's sovereign presence. That is Joseph. This deep confidence this deep certainty that God is always in control and God never left him. Listen to this summary verse. the end of the story. It's on the screen for you. Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50, verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you're to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servant of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We're your slaves, they said. But, but Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So don't be afraid, I'll provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Just what the key verse, verse 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Isn't that an extraordinary statement? To his brothers, uh, when you dumped me in the pit to die, you intended that for harm, but my God intended that for good. When you saw me as a slave, you intended to harm, but God intended that for good. When, when Potiphar's wife falsely accused me of rape, she intended to harm, but God intended that for good. When I was left to rot in jail, God was in control of that as well. It's extraordinary theology. He's saying, God, you are in control of every aspect of my life. Every step of my life in times of injustice and in times of success, in times of humiliation and in times of prosperity, God's always in control. Isn't that an amazing theology? So again in Genesis chapter 45. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they'd done so, he said, I'm your brother Joseph the one you sold into Egypt. Don't be distressed. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Here it is. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. 
For two years now, there's been a famine in our land, and for the next five years, there'll be no plowing and reaping, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. See, if Joseph was standing here tonight, in his vocabulary, there would be nothing accidental. There'd be no talk of fate. His language is, God sent me. God did that. God caused that. He's got this amazing deep trust that God is in control of everything. And here's what I've discovered, friends, is that the doctrine of the sovereignty of God, that God is in control of everything in your life, every minute, every second, every event, it is the most liberating, the most free in doctrine. Because we sit here in January 2013 and we've got all these amazing plans for 2013 and we've planned out our work and we've planned out our holidays and we've planned out our property and we've planned out our relationships and we act as though we're in control, but we're not. God's in control. God knows what will happen and what won't happen. And that doesn't mean that you don't cry out why. It's right, it is proper that you say, why God, why are you doing that? Do you think that Joseph sat in prison and never asked, why am I here? But that's a different thing to, to challenging God and saying, God, you've lost control. Now, we don't like what happens, we don't understand what happens, but we know there's a God behind it who is causing it to happen and in control of it, and he intends it for good. God intended it for good. It's the same as Paul in Romans chapter 8, you know that first verse? We know in all things God works for the good of those who love him. In all things God's at work. He's at work for good to make you more like Christ, to complete you, to mature you, to grow you, to sustain you, to transform you. And God has this way of, of taking, your, taking your broken dreams and taking your deep disappointments and using them for remarkable good. But Joseph's God wasn't just in control, he was also with him. Joseph's God wasn't a, a God who was distant and like a controller who just orchestrates events from afar. He's a, a father who walks alongside him and comforts him and challenges him and guides him. Look at Genesis 39, verse 2. The Lord was, was with Joseph, so he prospered. Verse 3. When his master saw the Lord was with him, down to verse 21, the Lord was with him. Verse 23, the Lord was with Joseph. It's another it's sort of Emmanuel passage, isn't it? God with him. God was with Joseph in the pit, and God was with Joseph in the palace, and God was with Joseph in the prison, and God was with Joseph when he was prime minister. Wherever he was, God was with him. Do you know that amazing poem called Footprints? Let me read it to you. One night I dreamed I was walking along the beach with the Lord. Many scenes from my life flashed across the sky, and in each scene I noticed footprints in the sand. Sometimes there were two sets of footprints. Other times there was one set of footprints. And this bothered me because I noticed that during the low periods of my life, when I was suffering from anguish and sorrow and defeat, I could only see one set of footprints. So I said to the Lord, Lord, you promised me that if I followed you, you would walk with me always. 
but I've noticed that during the most trying periods of my life, there have only ever been one set of footprints in the sand. Why, when I needed you most, you have not been there for me? And the Lord replied, the times when you've seen only one set of footprints is when I carried you. Isn't that a beautiful truth? It's an astonishing truth. The Lord is always there carrying us and protecting us and strengthening us and he's with us. But the biblical truth is even better than that poem. It's not just that the Lord carries you during the tough times. The Lord is always carrying you through times of success and through times of suffering. Through a birth or a bereavement, a joy or a sadness, he's always there holding on to you, carrying you through life. And my prayer is for 2013 that your, your trust, your confidence in God's sovereign presence would mark your everyday life. Here's my second word for you. The word is resist. That discipline in resisting the temptation to sin. The discipline in saying no to sin. That is Joseph. It's actually every spiritually mature man or woman. All, all the Christians who make the lasting impression in this world, the, the William Wilberforce, the Hudson Taylors, the, the John Stotts, the John Chapmans, they, they're all men of discipline. Daily devotion to prayer, daily commitment to Bible study, saying no to, to ungodliness. And that was Joseph. Come with me to verse 6. Joseph was well built. He's handsome. He's a good-looking young man. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. The invitation's pretty blunt, isn't it? And imagine that Joseph was tempted. You would be, I would be. He could have played the, you know, the no one will know card, I'm... Um, Far away from home, no one's going to find out, or I'm entitled to some pleasure card, or I just can't say no card. But look at verse 8. The invitation is blunt. Come to bed with me, and his refusal is bold. He just said no. How do you do that? How do you resist the temptation to sin? It starts here, it starts in the mind. You prepare your mind for that daily battle with sin. A management consultant said, if you fail to prepare, be prepared to fail. If you fail to prepare, be prepared to fail. It's the same true for your, your lives and my life as we battle with sin. If you fail to prepare your mind for battle, be prepared to fail in your resisting of temptation to sin. So verse 8 Joseph thinks about the consequences. His master has been kind to him. If he sleeps with his wife, he's betraying his master. And then he says in verse 9, how could I do such a wicked thing as sin against God? His theology is right. This is not just a, a bit of fun. It is a wicked thing. It's a sinful thing. Do you ever think about that when you're tempted to sin? Do you ever think about the people that you're hurting? The damage you're doing to yourself, the God that you're offending, <laughs> prepare your minds and then take decisive action. 
Verse 11, one day he went into the house and none of the household servants were inside. So he's all alone. No one can see him. And she caught him by the cloak and said, come to bed with me. And what did Joseph do? Verse 12, he just ran. He fled. He got out of there. No negotiations, no discussions. Just flee from the temptation. It's like Paul and he says, Flee sexual immorality. Get rid of it. Have nothing to do to it. I heard the story of the, the lawyer who was out for a drinks party with all his mates in a, in a bar. And then the strippers appeared. And he made a very quick decision. I'm out of here. And he never regretted that decision. Other men who chose to stay did regret their decision. Just flee. Just get rid of it. Don't dance around the edges. Don't flirt. I sometimes don't get it. You know, I, I talk to some men, and, and some women struggle with this as well, and they're struggling with internet pornography. And I say to them, have you got covenant eyes on your computer, you know, the software that stops you from doing that? Oh, no, they say. But why not? Do something about it. Or the dating couple who are struggling to be sexually pure and then they tell me they're going on holidays together. I'm thinking, why would you do that? Just say no to sin. I love that about Joseph. He was consistent in his refusal to say no. And it cost him, didn't it? What did it cost Joseph to be godly? He ended up in prison. But it was worth it because he was honoring his God. Here's my third word for you. So trust God, resist sin. Third word is forgive. Forgive other people. Don't hold the grudges. Don't seek revenge. I'll ask you, how would you respond if the person who had offended you most was face-to-face with you tonight. And they've said sorry, and they're asking for forgiveness. Have you got bitterness here? Do you feel the grudges still? Are you seeking revenge or just trying to make a point? That wasn't Joseph, was it? That emotional moment in Genesis chapter 50 where he comes face to face with his brothers after 13 years and they tried to kill him. Genesis 50 again. It's on the screen. When Joseph's brothers saw their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs that we did? And so they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions. This is what you say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins. And to forgive your brothers the wrongs they committed. Please forgive the sins. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers came and threw themselves down before him. We were slaves, they said. But Joseph said, don't be afraid. Am I in a place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. To accomplish what's now being done, the saving of many lives. So don't be afraid. I will provide for you. I'll provide for your children. Be reassured then. And he spoke kindly to them. Don't you find it extraordinary? No words of resentment, no revenge, no bitterness, just words of forgiveness and kindness. Let's think about it. What did his brothers deserve from Joseph? Nothing. 
what did Joseph give them? Grain, money, and kindness. What did they deserve from Joseph? Maybe imprisonment, some kind of punishment. What did they get? They got a free gift of forgiveness. How do you do that? How, how do you forgive people? And the answer is, when you've understood and when you've bathed yourself in how much Christ has forgiven you. When you've bathed your whole life in how much undeserved kindness and undeserved grace and forgiveness Christ has given you, then who are we to withhold forgiveness from other people? Forgive just as in Christ the Lord has forgiven you. And I don't know who you are holding that grudge against tonight. I don't know who you are harboring that bitterness in your heart towards, but can I plead with you, can I urge you to get rid of bitterness and to get rid of the grudges and to forgive people? Trust me, when you let that bitterness fester, it will eat away at you. Listen to this quote from Philip Yancey. When we genuinely forgive people, we set a prisoner free. And then we discover the prisoner that we set free was us. Please don't be a prisoner to your own bitterness. Please don't be a prisoner to your own holding of resentments and grudges. Here's some words from Joni Erickson Tarda. Remember she was paralyzed from the neck down. She said, I, I do not want to miss God's grace to me in my sadness and in my bitterness. And so I chose to give my heart's hurts to him. Isn't that lovely? Give your hurts, give your bitterness, give your grudges over to God and forgive that person. I don't know what 2013 will hold for you. I hope that your life isn't quite the, the roller coaster that Joseph was. I hope not the, the prison to the palace, to the pit, to the prime minister. Whatever highs and lows you go through, remember those three words? Trust. God's always in control. Resist the temptation to sin. And please forgive people.